We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is sponsored by FX's Fleischman is in Trouble. Starring Jesse Eisenberg, Claire Danes, Lizzie Kaplan, and Adam Brody. This drama tells the story of recently divorced Toby Fleischman, who dives into the world of app-based dating with the kind of success he never had in his youth. Then, his ex-wife disappears, leaving him with their two children and no hint of her return. Effects's Fleischman is in trouble. Streaming November 17th, only on Hulu. Okay, ready? That might be the best question I've ever been asked. It is a constant choice making a painting. It's like, I have all these brushes, I have all these colors, I'm mixing those colors very specifically, that's a choice. Like, and deciding a mood or an undertone of what I want people to think and feel, which is why I always feel like when people, there was an early phase of my practice where I felt like there was a narrative around my work being centered around the black male identity solely. And I often felt that that completely excluded my body as it related to the work itself. It took me out of it. And the reality is that I'm so present in it that it felt like it was very dismissive of my body as it relates to it. So, I mean, I am thinking about what a whole show is going to be at times. And then I'm thinking about what a painting needs and color becomes like a sentence. Like, oh, I'm building a sentence. Those are my commas. Those are my like, ands, and those are my wham, bam, thank you, ma'ams. Jordan Castile is one of the great young visual artists of today, a painter who is making extraordinary work. I'm so excited about her paintings. I'm so excited to talk to her about her work. For the whole conversation, go to patreon.com slash Show. But 
this first half is extraordinary because she's brilliant. She is awesome. She is inspiring. Let's get into it. It is Jordan Castile on Torre Show. Why do you love to paint? Why do I love to paint? Um, it's kind of a great starting place. It just knocked me off my socks a little bit because I'm like, I don't get a chance to think about that really explicitly quite often enough anymore. Um, but I think there are a few things that happen for me when I'm painting. One is that it like allows me to stop thinking. So the act of painting itself becomes this really meditative space for me where I get to zone out, literally forget about all the things that are clicking through my head at all times and enjoy like a very physical meditative practice. So like the act of painting itself for me serves as almost uh, like going to church. I am not necessarily a religious person, but that is like, it is my spiritual practice, probably the act of painting more than anything else. I also just love the outcome. I love working through the process. I have always been an inherent like lover of learning. So I think that painting itself serves as these like very direct engagement with my own discovery where I get to kind of pose these questions and see the results kind of flow through myself as I try to figure it out. So sometimes I make mistakes and then I get to figure out solutions to those problems. Like it's this very intimate, personal um, engagement with learning and education in my own kind of like twisted way, if that makes sense. So yeah. those are like my most selfish reasons for painting and why I love painting. Um, out of all the different things I've tried, it's like probably also been the most rewarding because whatever ends up at the ends, like I actually like. So <laughs> that also helps, you know, like when you finish a pie and you're like, this is actually really good. That feels better than when you make a pie that's kind of bad. And painting is a thing that like, I'm like, oh, okay, I can do this. Like, let me keep trying. Tell me some of the... I guess some of the almost statistics almost of your studio, probably like, do you, do you go every day? Like how long do you work on a piece? How long does it take you to, to make a painting? Yeah. I love that you phrase it as statistics because that's kind of what it is. It's like the bullet points of how it gets done. Um, and I am a very uh, structured painter in the sense that I'm here from like, nine to 10 to six or seven. Like I've never been able to do, um, all nighters or anything like that. Like I like can't work past the sun going down. I've been that way since I was in college, like not capable. So I'm a very like working hours painter. I'm in here. I treat it like a real job. I'm here usually Monday through Friday. I paint, you know, the mornings I maybe spend on the computer going through whatever kind of like emailing businessy stuff. And then by the afternoon, I'm like, my headphones are on. I'm listening to podcasts. Love me a podcast. Hello, here we are. And I like something about listening to people talk allows me to paint the most fluidly. I like, because I'm engaged in somebody else's story rather than my own. Um, and my canvas, like the actual kind of like setup, I, I'm very habitual about that too. I, I feel like it's like mise en place. I'm making all these cooking and baking references because I do love to bake. But like I set up my palette. I mix all the colors before I start painting. And um, the canvas usually is primed in a matter, like I do all my canvases at once because priming is the most tedious and annoying part of the process. 
Um, and so then I'll have a whole bunch of surfaces kind of available for me to paint from start to finish, depending on the scale and what else is going on in my life. I'd say it's like three weeks on average, two three to three weeks, weeks to get finished. To, yeah. To, to kind of depending. Cause I work, um, I try to mimic painting from life as much as possible. So when I complete a section of the painting, whether it's the face or the jacket, like I, I do everything in one sitting. So I work in these really long chunks where I'll take three hours where I'm working straight on one section of the painting and then I never go back into it. So things do happen fairly quickly as long as I get those long chunks of time. And then when it's done, it's done. Like when I have finished the face or the hands or the jacket or whatever portion of the painting I'm working on, I'm not going back in it because I'm not trying to overthink things. I want to kind of maintain the essence of my relationship to the person and the experience that I'm having of them. So yeah, I would say about three weeks. Okay. So you're getting a lot done a year. Um, I wish I was getting more done. I mean, I say that three weeks is like, you know, there's 12 months in a year. So maybe on average, like 14 paintings a year, uh, 14 to 16. And yeah, I, I often feel like I'm moving really slow, but when you say it like that, I guess it is a lot. <laughs> I, I've, I've talked to people who are doing more like four a year and yeah. it's, or six a year, you know, um, totally. So, I mean, doing it all by yourself with no, you know, cause some folks have assistance, like doing it all yeah. by yourself, 14, 12, 14 is a lot. Yeah, it is. That's true. Cause I am doing it all on my own. So it's, you know, it's my, my nine to five, I suppose. So I'm, I'm here. What are some of the podcasts you listen to? <laughs> okay. So, um, I'm kind of like a crime person in the sense that I'm often listening to like murder mystery or things like that. Um, my favorite murder. Is, yeah. My favorite murder, crime junkie, morbid. Like I've been all up in all of those, uh, case file, like literally, I, I don't know what it is. I'm a very scaredy cat kind of person. Um, I actually like genuinely am scared of everything all the time, but I love it. I, I also listen to audiobooks as much as possible as well. Um, I just started crying in H Mart and finished the vanishing half. Like oftentimes the time for me to read is by painting. Like it's like, I do these two things at once. Cause I, I have like an extreme amount of focus, um, when I'm painting or the ability to kind of process that information. It's crazy to think about you listening to crime depictions and murder depictions when your paintings are so not that, and they're so <laughs> like beautiful and these depictions of like, just sort of, to me, like, like sort of the best, you know, small moments of life, but the best moments of life. And then totally. she's listening to somebody get chopped up as she's doing this. I mean, which is why it just feels like a sad confession. It's like, I'm I like, what is, it doesn't make any sense, but life is about balance, isn't it? Like, I think that in many ways, so much of my life is about externalizing a certain caretaking and an awareness of others and thinking really thoughtfully and tenderly about the people around me. And it's almost like an ability to detach. Like it doesn't necessarily always feel real as I'm listening to those stories. Like I'm, I'm detaching from what's happening. When I think I'm an empath in the like truest sense of the form. Like I feel things really deeply and 
I do think that when I'm making the paintings and I'm like thinking about it too much, it actually doesn't serve the work. So if I'm like going somewhere else completely outside of myself, it almost serves the painting better in some ways, but I'm allowing my most intuitive self to kind of work, if that makes sense, before my kind of emotional or intellectual self takes hold. When people say that they're empaths, it makes me feel like, oh, they know what I'm, do you know what I'm feeling right now? (laughs) Yeah, you're, you know, just kidding. I really have no idea. I mean, hopefully you're feeling good here together and you're like, yeah, I'm enjoying this. (laughs) But tell me, you know. But if you started crying right now, I would definitely start crying with you. Like, I'd be like, oh, no. Like, what? Oh, okay. What's going okay. on? So you'd, you know what so I mean? You'd be, so you'd be consistent with me. If I went low, you'd go low. If I went high, you'd go totally. high. Totally. 100%. Okay. 100%. Okay. I'm definitely the person who meets people where they are, um, which I, I do think it benefits the painting practice in many ways. And and I've, I've witnessed that in other people's reaction to the work. Um because oftentimes they can kind of feel the emotional state of my engagement. But yeah, so you're you low right uh, and now. You're, um, and your emotional state is meeting that of the subject as you're doing it? Yeah, oftentimes, it, 100%, because it's just the case of people around me. If I feel someone going low or um, if they're skeptical. So there's this painting that I did when I was a resident at the studio museum in Harlem, which comes to mind frequently for me because it's one of the few where the skepticism of the subject is like very palpable because it was a painting of Stanley, somebody who I haven't been able to maintain a relationship with. And I think it's like, it stems from the fact that I approached this person and they were skeptical as all get out. They did agree to participate in this thing. Like they said, yeah, like you can take my photo, But their gaze is very like, "Mm, like, I'm not so sure about this. And I met that. And I ended up painting them in like black and white. And they're kind of seated back in the shadow because I was also aware of my own lack of engagement. Like their lack of warmth to me um, felt really clear. So there are times that like the way the other person is engaging with me, um, I feel very aware of, but I, I tend to try to bring a very particular energy and hope that like, they don't have that, that there's a certain amount of trust or vulnerability that they can feel with me. Um, but I, you know, as somebody who talks to people all the time, I'm sure that you also get a sense of that, of like, when you walk into a space or we're doing the zoom space or we're stepping into this energy together, we haven't necessarily met, but we're having a moment together how do we bring our most truest, authentic, vulnerable selves to this moment in this time? Like part of your job, I would imagine would be something similar of bringing me to a space of comfort to share my story as authentically as possible for your viewer, which is the same thing for me is that I'm often thinking about it in those terms. No, absolutely. I I want you as the interviewee and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I shouldn't tell you this, this, I shouldn't tell you this because it, because it, because it makes it obvious, but <laughs> since you brought it up, I, I, I want you to feel seen I, more than any other conversation you have the whole day. I want you to feel like, you know, your, your, your smart thoughts. I'm like, yes. And your funny jokes. I'm like, oh my God, that's so funny. And like, you're just like <laughs> nailing this conversation yeah. and it, it's, it can't be forced and it can't be no. fake, but like most people you talk to all day are not really paying attention. They're kind of waiting for their turn to talk. And I'm like really paying attention to what you're saying. And totally. it's 
it, it, it makes people feel, it makes you feel better. Totally. And I think we're just exercising the same practice, which is how I can come in and kind of recognize your role in this moment in the same way that I very much recognize my role when I'm asking someone to participate in this process. Some people I know personally, but it's very different to ask them to participate in being in a portrait, like to have, they're basically handing their energy and their, their likeness over to me. And that's a difficult thing to do. You're asking for me to hand my likeness over to the space that you're creating on behalf of others and yourself to contextualize stories. And it's not easy work to do, but I think it does take practice. And I do enjoy that practice. And you probably can tell, just like I can tell in a painting, when somebody didn't feel connected, that it shows, you know, like other people might not notice it as explicitly. Like no one's walking around and saying, oh, that painting of Stanley, like obviously you missed the mark there. But I know, you know, like I walk into the space and I'm like, oh, that painting of Stanley, I need to honor it. And as I was making the painting, I was thinking about my relationship to it. And I made very distinct visual cues to honor what my engagement was. It was he wasn't bright and in the space with me. So painting him choosing a gray palette for him to be leaning back into the kind of shadow, although he, he had a foot kind of gaping into the sun, that I was thinking about all of that. That in one way, he let me into his space. In another, he was completely leaned out. Um, so the painting becomes my way of like, processing that that moment of engagement i'm curious if you can walk us through some of the more artistic thoughts and feelings you're having because you're you're evaluating it as an artist and thinking about color and perspective and line and all these sorts of things so how, what are you what is sort of some of that thought process as you're as you're painting and stepping back and yeah i mean it's it is um the crux of the work. I think that although it can hold stories and, and all of these other kind of influxes of ideas and perspectives and social cues or not, that I'm always thinking about like, is this painting working? Am I building a composition that is going to serve the visual cues necessary to make this a good work of art? How are eyes traveling throughout the space? I think the thing that I think about the most when I'm making a painting is like, how is my eye moving through the environment that I'm creating? And thus, how will other people see it? So what are the most important factors? Those are probably going to be the moments that I paint with a certain color or I fill in with a certain texture that I kind of build out in a way that you're going to want to explore it. Then there are other moments where I want it to recede, where maybe I'll let the underpainting serve as kind of in its own light, so that the sketch itself doesn't get filled in in the same way. So those are all opportunities for me to build a story of engagement um, and to tell you what I think is most important as the viewer. It's like, these are the things that I want you to see and pay attention to. Um, and even the choices that I'm making constantly, because it is a constant choice making a painting. It's like, I have all these brushes. I have all these colors. I'm mixing those colors very specifically. That's a choice. Like, and deciding a mood or an undertone of what I want people to think and feel, which is why I always feel like when people, there was an early phase of my practice where I felt like there was a narrative around my work being centered around the black male identity solely. And I often felt that that completely excluded my body. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door, thanks to DoorDash. If you don't wanna do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. 
My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. As it related to the work itself, it took me out of it. And the reality is, is I'm so present in it that it felt like it was very dismissive of my body as it relates to it. So, I mean, I am thinking about what a whole show is going to be at times. And then I'm thinking about what a painting needs and color becomes like a sentence. It's like, oh, I'm building a sentence. Those are my commas. Those are my like, ands, and those are my wham, bam, thank you, ma'ams. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. Something I ask everybody who comes on the show, what does being black mean to you and where does it show up in your work? And for some people, it's a little more subterranean. For you, it's a really present thing because you are very consciously painting black people I feel like you are painting us to be beautiful and ennobled and sort of like risen, like like lifted up, even though we're often in sort of normal situations, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I'm, I'm just curious to hear you talk about, you know, that, what being black means to you and how it shows up in the work. Yeah, I feel like, you know, my relationship to blackness and my awareness of it began at a very young age, as I think it does for most of us in different capacities. For me, it was um, being in a family where the representations on the wall, artistically speaking, like there were prints and posters of Jacob Lawrence and Faith Ringgold and Charles White. Like that was the visual cue for me of what art and the representation of myself was that I was seeing myself valued in that way. And that my story was important. Even if I was going to friends' houses and they didn't have that, I would come home and have this like very explicit conversation with my family that was like, yeah, like we're black. This is our history. This is our lineage. Here is a part of the things a part of your identity that you need to understand. And um, as a fair-skinned Black woman, I think there were many moments throughout my life where I was reckoning with my own Blackness or what Blackness meant to me as a lighter-skinned person. Um, and I think it was because of those experiences that the way that Blackness exerts itself within the paintings is of a, a real broad spectrum. What I knew very clearly is that I have immediate family members who are much darker than I am. And then I am much lighter and that most of the black families that I saw, actually we, all of us kind of like exist on a, if you see a family photo album, it was like a real spectrum of what blackness looked and felt like. And my aunt, I was on the phone with my aunt yesterday. So it's like front of mine who's doing all this like family lineage digging. And she was telling me all these stories of where maybe whiteness or lightness showed up and then where the darkness showed up. And when we were on a plantation in Kentucky versus St. Joe, Missouri, like all of those stories come from the family in the home. For me, like that's where my blackness started was at home. Um, and then wanting to really exert an understanding of the stories that I learned along the way that from a very early age, my mom was like, yeah, okay, cool. You're going to this like really prestigious undergraduate college in Atlanta, Georgia. This is not, it's a PWI, it's a primarily white institution. And the people that you need to know beyond the president of the university who's talking today are like the people in the kitchen who are going to be serving you every day who will actually be your family. So like, cool, we did this thing. Now let's go introduce ourselves to the people who are actually going to show up for you probably on a daily basis. And she was right. I still am in contact with Betty who worked in the bakery because my mom walked me up and was like, my daughter loves to bake. Um, I just want to make sure she's safe here. Also, when I moved to New York for the first time, I was living in Bed-Stuy. I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, it was classic New York plot circumstance. I couldn't find my mom. Look outside. She's smoking cigarettes with all the guys sitting outside on their stoops, like introducing herself and introducing me to them by proxy. Like she's like, cool, you moved into this place. This is where you start. You start by getting to know the people who are on the ground who've been here the longest. Those are the communities that will serve you. So I think I was always directed towards having my eye on those that we tend to walk by every day and not acknowledge in our um, kind of our own existence of what is important, like how we define importance is often placed or misplaced sometimes of who are the most important people in the room. I also witnessed her under many circumstances giving her own talks that she would always make a point to acknowledge the people who were serving them at events. Like it's like, cool. Like, thank you to the donors, the sponsors, and the people who are here serving us today. Can everybody take a moment and like clap for them? Like, like I, I just was raised with a very explicit awareness. And I, I think that that has served my painting practice 
um, in a very tangible way as I look at the work and the people that I am most drawn to seeing. Um, so representing blackness in hues of purple and pink come from my own kind of experience as a fair skinned person in the context of a family that was really just dynamic and what blackness looked like that the skin color was like only a piece of my identity as a black person. Like it's a very important front part, but it's not like all of it. (laughs) Um, and wanting to explore that within the practice using color as a tool to do such. Um, it's just like a small piece of the puzzle. What was the PWI you went to? I went to Agnes Scott college um, which is a small liberal arts women's college in Georgia and Decatur. Um, and I like very close to the AUC. Like I was like at Spelman and Morehouse all the time. I went to Emory. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, I went to Agnes Scott. So lived, also spent time at Emory. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's amazing. And I wanted how... to be in Atlanta. I was like, oh, you know, like I wanted to be in Atlanta, but I also didn't want to be in an HBCU in some ways at that time. Um, probably because I just don't dress very, like, I just remember going to Spelman and all of them were like dressed for class. And I remember thinking like, I wear sweats a hundred percent of the time. I'm not going to survive here, but I want access to all of this. <laughs> so. No, I remember going to, we would go to Spelman around lunchtime or whatever to try to talk to girls. And you're like falling in love every five minutes of like somebody walked by and you're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> like everybody's just the- stunning all the time. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I like, I thought it would rub off on me by proximity, but I couldn't be in the midst of it. I just would have felt so <laughs> sad about myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when I think about what blackness means to me, it's that communal thing that you talked about. And it's also within the lane of writers and what I gained and owe to, you know, Baldwin, Morrison, Ellison, you know, Hurston, et cetera. Um, what do you think about your relationship to the lineage of black painters who come before you, who made it possible for you to stand on their shoulders and have the career you have? I mean, I mentioned some of them as the ones who influenced my own identity and sense of self growing up, that I felt really privileged to have relationships with Black painters at the earliest of ages, that I have very distinct memories of specific works of art that were in the home, like Mother and Child by Charles White. I remember looking at that very specifically as a print hanging in my parents' home and like loving it. So I, I knew and my my appreciation for them is so wrapped in the fact that they gave me permission to see myself as belonging and a value and then see the potential of being an artist as like holding value. Like it was like, uh, well, sort of. I mean, it took me a minute to get there that like being an artist is like actually a real thing that could happen because I think knowing contemporary living artists, I had this relationship with history, right? And black artists that existed in history, but I didn't necessarily have access to contemporary living artists until much later. So I think that my own sense of like what was possible was a little confused for some time. What does eating healthy mean to you? 
Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamin, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, but what I knew historically was that like it existed for a reason and that there was potential in that work in serving the lives of others. And as somebody who is an empath and a caretaker and the person who like recognizes who I am as being really drawn into other people, like this could be a tool or a way for me to be of service to others um, and to serve myself. Because like I said, it's my own like spiritual practice. Like it's like both those things can be true, but I think that they've ignited potential. And for that, I will always be grateful. Like I know that anything's possible um, when we take the time to represent ourselves in whatever ways that we can. Sometimes it takes a long time for people to recognize our contributions. No surprise, like whatever, you know, like it's like everyone's talking about artists that I loved a long time ago now. Um, but the recognition is happening and it is the value, you know. Let's talk about color. Um, your color, my color. I'm light skinned. You're lighter than I am. Um I know people have asked me throughout my life, are you mixed? I am not. Um, my father mm-hmm. was about your color. We found out later mm-hmm. that he was mixed, but we didn't know that. But I'm not mixed. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not mixed, right? No, no. I'm not. But, but I'm I not. bet you've gotten a lot of black people asking you if you are and judging you based on your color. Totally. I mean, my whole life. I think there are a few things that have... I, mm, I guess when I was younger, I definitely got it too. It's happened more explicitly recently. Like since I cut my hair and my hair is, I I also have lupus and have been on like a chemotherapy medication for quite some time that straightened my hair and caused it to thin for me to like cut it. Um, And so that also changed my identity or like created a more consistent asking around my like blackness and where it existed was like, I, I mean, hair is always this thing that kind of like comes up in blackness and how we exert or see or like the the tightness of one's curls or not as being indicative of like how much blackness you have within you. 
Um, and as my hair straightened, it was like, I just had to kind of like release in some ways, all the judgments. And maybe in some ways I'm like, look, I got lupus. I take chemotherapy, just shut down the conversation. Like, it's like, you know what? What do you that's have? Like, my hair straight. Again. You know what I mean? Like, there's this part of me that's like, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me tell you something. It just like stops everything in their tracks. And I think it also forces people to ask questions of what their assumptions are, which was part of the practice, like not like to bring it sort of back to the painting in the sense that like my earliest paintings, I was painting like blue figures and green and like red and purple, because I love the idea that somebody would be like, they're black and then be like, but are they like, they had to like ask questions, like actually they're green. Like these assumptions that we step into as we get to know one another, like, oh my gosh, Tore, definitely mixed. And then you're like, no, I'm not, son. Like, what are you talking about? Like, it's maybe three generations removed. Or if you want to talk about what happened in the masses house, we can have that conversation too. But that's probably going to make you real uncomfortable. That's what my aunt was telling me the other day. Like she was going through the history and I was like, so where did the whiteness come from? She was like, oh girl, let me tell you. So this is like, I found this out. And like, do you like this? Some things are like really explicit and like, maybe going back to slavery other things are less explicit maybe family members had to like make decisions with their bodies with other people basically like do prostitution or sex work because they had to serve their families and there was a white man in the mix and like that then your grandma is like actually potentially half white because and i was like what you know like there's complex socioeconomic stories at play that intertwine our blackness and our identity and our skin color. And again, whether it's my twin brother who like never was asked if he was mixed and like me who was asked all the time, I hard telling, but both my parents are pretty fair skinned as well. So yes, it was a part of my upbringing constantly, but I also know that my experience is a very explicit and personal one. I think that's the thing that I've learned the most about that. It's like, all of us have different experiences. How does lupus affect you and how does it affect your professional life? Um, it affects, it's, it affects everything about who I am. I was diagnosed while I was in college and I was 18. So my first symptom showed up my freshman year in college after I had left home and I was in Atlanta and it, forced me in many ways to become even more stubborn than I already am because I, at the time, like, you know, I felt like everybody around me was telling me to kind of stop my life to figure out what this thing was. And I decided to like do the complete opposite. I was like, cool. If they're saying this thing is going to be a thing that I have to live with for the rest of my life, then I better start figuring this out. Now I'm going to limp onto this plane with a bag of prednisone and like figure it out. So like, I've always been attuned to trying to like make things work. And when it comes to my practice, there are really clear lines that I have to draw at times. Like part of why I work nine to five is like, I get tired and I know that I need sleep and I have to have these like really hard cutoff times in terms of what my body can and can't do that. I consider myself to have another full-time job, which is going to doctor's appointments and taking care of my mental and physical well-being. And I talk about it more explicitly now. I think as I become more comfortable in my body and in my mind, I, it's important to give as a black woman permission to other, particularly like other black women and women of color to like, like we have to take care of ourselves. Um, and asking for help isn't always a bad thing, even in my like stubborn, I got this. So I think the practice has served me because it has allowed me the flexibility, the flexibility to like take care of myself, you know, like my, my nine to five is also on my terms and there are days that I don't feel well. Um, even us rescheduling this, like there are days that there are things that happen 
that I just have to be honest about and hope that people can meet me in. Um, and I'm not going to be out at a lot of social events in terms of my career. Like I'm definitely not the one, like the joke, if I'm out at an opening, people are like, Oh my God, you're here. And you're probably like only going to be here till nine o'clock. And I'm like, yep, bet. Like I'm out nine o'clock Jordan out. Like it's cool. You know, like I think I've, I've set up, um, a sense of loving for myself and others by like making really clear lines of what I'm capable of doing and not. I mean, if you're not surprising people, then you're not disappointing people. Cause they're like, exactly. we know she leaves at nine. It's not me. It's always yeah. like, that's her yeah. thing. Like, exactly. She has to take care of herself and it's okay. You know, I'm, so I'm a bit of a recluse in that way because I kind of have to be, um, but those that I'm most intimately connected to know that like I'm ride or die to the end, you know, like I'm loyal as I'll get out. So, so if you're a recluse and you're wrapping up the painting around seven each day, you're mm-hmm. either way into watching TV or way into reading books. <laughs> um, I wish either of those things were true. It's usually just like cooking dinner. Like that becomes, a, you know, it's like the nightly conversation with my partner. What's for dinner tonight? Eating. Um, there's maybe some TV watching, but usually I'm like, you know, I'm sadly addicted to my phone in the way that many of us are right now. I probably zone out on Instagram for too long. And then I just like go to sleep by the time we get home. If we're out of here by like seven, I'm like home and settled eating by eight, eight thirty. you know, sleep by like nine thirty ten. 10. So, okay. So you're at a certain level in the art world. How does one move up? from where you are to become, you know, a bigger name, a bigger brand name, or, you know, how do, how do you do that? You mean like, how do I go to the, how do I level up even from here? Is that basically what you mean? Yeah. Or is how yeah. somebody like level up to like, I, 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 I wish I knew in some ways, I don't know if leveling up, like what does leveling up look like? And like, what is right now leveling up looks like setting more explicit like boundaries and finding balance, like finding real balance in the sense that like I do things like gardening and baking more or like the the things outside of my practice that serve me giving more time to that. But I think that for me, like that, those are the goals that I'm setting right now. It's like, okay, cool. We're going to keep growing. I'm confident in that because I'm just in this to like, really try to get better. Like, I just want to become a better artist every day. And because of that, like, how do I become a better artist? It's not necessarily about like leveling up externally about, you know, whether it's accolades or the painting selling in any explicit way, but it's like leveling up internally. Like, how do I keep getting better? And how do I get better in a way that honors all aspects of myself? Because I think the past five years or so, I've like had my head in the ground, just like grinding. I've had so many shows. I've been pumping out work. I've like allowed very little time for breath. Um, And leveling up, I think is going to require the balance in order to sustain. Like I'm like building a state. I'm like truly invested in building a sustainable practice at this point. So I don't know what the next thing is besides like maybe a bigger garden. For more from me and Jordan Castile, join us over at patreon.com 
slash Torre show. Thank you so much to Jordan for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Marcus Harkis, Noel Sam Montes, Jason Reynolds, Gerville Calais, Michelle, Brenda Cox, Kathy F., Dr. Kina Murphy, Earl Dorsey, Theotokis, and Noma. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and maybe this show could help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Torre Show. And check out my newsletter, Black Minds Matter. Go to blackmindsmatter.substack.com. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editors, Ryan Woodhull. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.